We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Simone McGill. Simone is a professional player for Everton and is a Northern Ireland international with 45 senior caps, which is not bad for a 23-year-old. Uh, she's the first professional player ever to come out of Northern Ireland on the women's side and holds the world record for the fastest goal ever scored at international level. 11 seconds against Georgia, which beat Alex Morgan's 12-second goal record. Uh, This is not your typical player interview, so this is not when did you start playing, uh, how was your childhood. This is about a road to the professional ranks. It's about choices, discipline, drive, sacrifice, what it takes to become a professional in a country that has never produced a professional. And then towards the end, when we moves on to coaching and it goes in a completely different direction and uh, and Simone gives an unbelievable insight so you're going to enjoy this coaches and please give us a shout out on Twitter, Facebook at Gary Kernin, Coach Kernin, Simone's very active on Twitter and social media as well so please give her a shout out, um, anything you see here, any feedback would be great and enjoy. All right Simone thanks for joining me this morning. No problem. To open it up, you you played the majority of your youth soccer with and against boys, playing against I boys. I did, yes. Do you think you became a, a good player because of that or in spite of that? Um, I think that it certainly helped. You know, growing up, uh, whenever I was younger, there wasn't really an awful lot of opportunities or places for young girls to go and play football. So um, I had an older brother who played, so I just literally went along with him every week and got stuck in with the boys and... I think looking back now, I think that definitely helped me. Um, just more from like a physical element um, as a kid. Uh, whenever I was playing with the boys and getting stuck in, I think when it then came to playing just solely with girls, I think that it always gave me a little bit of an edge over them because I had played with the boys and, you know, they were faster, they're stronger. And I think, you know, I was obviously trying to match that. So then when I went into the girls game that I always had, you know, that little bit of an edge. So... I think that definitely helped me at a, at a at an early age. Definitely, you're a little bit of an advocate of the female game, but of a role model because you're the first, the first full time, basically the first pro player in Northern Ireland. Um, so as a role model for the younger players, are you pushing for that to change? You know, or are you saying that that's still something that should be part of their their development as a young girl? Um, I definitely think that like. Obviously, looking at, at the game now and how far the women's game has come, um, obviously, for young girls now growing up, there is so m- many more opportunities um, for them as young kids. You know, you've got right from grassroots all the way up. There's there's a setup in place for them now that wasn't there when I was was younger. So I think, you know, you, c- you can't look at it in the same um, because obviously I didn't have them opportunities that are now available. And I think for the game in total, I think that it's great that, 
them opportunities are there and that girls can be you know in in them pathways from such a such a young age whereas I didn't have that so in terms of the overall development for the women's game I think it's fantastic that you know that girls can play um with girls right from that early age all the way through but I still think that playing with the boys just give me such an advantage so I would never I would never rule that out but then at the same time it is fantastic to see that you know them pathways are in place now for for young kids yeah well whenever you're you talk about pathways there you're you know you there was zero there there was zero professional opportunities the girls game women's game didn't have the profile which it has now when you were growing up so what was your dreams at even at 12 13 14 where where did you see the game taking you or where did you hope it would take you yeah, I mean, it's one of them things. I mean, I just loved the game from a very early age. Like, I've been playing since I was four. And obviously, when I was growing up, there was no, you know, female footballers out there that I could really aspire to be because there was no such thing really as, prof- you know, full-time professionals in the women's game. So I think I was always holding out that one day, you know, oh, it's, it's going to turn pro, it's going to turn pro. And I think I was always holding out for that. And I just loved the game that much and I always put it before everything that I did and you know I was working hard every day and you know the fact that now you know it has happened that there is a possibility now that you can be a full-time professional which is fantastic so um, I mean one of my biggest dreams as a kid was always to play for Northern Ireland like ever since I was probably 10, 11 I just wanted to play for my country. I wanted to represent my country, and I got the opportunity to, to do that at quite a, a young age, which was, you know, which was really great honour. So, um, one of the dreams I'm still holding out for is to qualify for a major tournament internationally. So that's next on on my agenda to to kind of help Northern Ireland, you know, qualify for your World Cups or your European Championships. So, hopefully, in the next couple of years, that'll be us. Yeah, we'll get to Northern Ireland in, in a little bit as well. We'll definitely talk about that there. Um, going back to then growing up, who were who were your heroes? Was it because you would have been? I'm sure my age here, you would have <laughs> been. Mia Ham would have been way past you, way before yeah. you. So Kelly Smith, Wambach, or was it more of the guys players? Um. Well, yeah. Like I mean, obviously I was a massive uh, United fan. So growing up, like my heroes were like your David Backhams. Uh, your Andy Coles, you know, your players like that, you know, from that generation of the United squad, um, you know, because like I said, there wasn't really an awful lot of, of females out there, but to name a few, yeah, it would have been like your Kelly Smiths, your Rachel Yankees and uh, and players like that, you know, I think the only game that they ever used to show on TV was the FA Cup final, <laughs> and I remember growing up, I used to sit and watch that at home with my family, and as I always said one day, I was like, I want to play in that one day, and you know, I remember watching it, was only like 16. Um, and then two years later, like, I got to play in ones, you know. So it was it was like, it was an absolute dream coming true. But yeah, players like that would have been, you know, who I'd looked up to. And they were kind of the the leading, the lead females almost uh, to kind of like pave the way before it kind of went professional. They were the, the legends of the game as, as such, if you want to call them that. So um, yeah, they were who I would have looked up to, yeah. When you came over to England, then it would have been a higher level, um, more competitive level of soccer. What area of the game did you struggle with the most initially? Um, yeah, I think the game was so much different over here than what I was used to whenever I first came over, um, and I had a lot to learn. But I was playing alongside, 
you know, world-class players. You know, when I came to Everton, we had the likes of, like, your Jill Scotts, your Rachel Browns, your Tony Duggins, and I got to learn a lot off them at quite a young age, which was fantastic. I think it was just the speed of the game uh, over here. You know, everything was, it was one, two touch max, whereas, you know, the, the game and, and the level I was used to back home, you had so much more time on the ball, and you could do a lot more with it. Whereas over here, if you tried to take them extra couple of touches, like you knew about it, you know what I mean? So I think that was definitely one aspect of my game. I had to change, change a lot and adapt to to fit into the game over here. And um, yeah, pretty much. What did you learn most from, those are great names, Scott and Duggan. What, what did they teach you in a kind of indirectly in a non-soccer sense, like the commitment side or the fitness side or personality side? I think, I think they they really helped me um obviously because I was I was only a young kid and I'd moved over to a brand new city and I think they really helped me settle in um they kind of you know took me under under their wing and I think like with the likes of Tony she was great because obviously I'm a forward and she was a forward and she used to you know she used to help me a lot in terms of just like technical things you know on the training ground and uh you know she always used to give me like great advice that you know it'll come for you because obviously when I first came over you know, trying to break into a squad with that quality isn't the easiest, especially when I'm in a brand new city. I'm young, and so I, I'm. I was learning a lot, and you know, she was there. She was always helping me. You know, with my advice, she's like, "It's going to come for you. You know, your chance is going to come." And you know, when I was getting little spells on the pitch and stuff, it was just great to have people with that experience to play alongside you. You know, just just to help push you through, because obviously, like I said, that was the biggest, well, one of the biggest stages I ever played played on, and with being so so young and but still so much to learn. It was just great to have players like that playing alongside me. Were you homesick? No, I I, I think at the start it was uh, it took me a little bit of time, but I don't think I would say I was ever homesick. I mean, I was just loving every minute of it at the start. Um, you know, I was in this brand new city, I was playing for Everton. Um do you know what I mean? It it was it was fantastic and I had so much so many people to meet and I was doing so much that you know, I didn't have time to even think of home, you know what I mean? So I don't think I ever really experienced homesick now. Obviously, again, your your pathway has been at a time where there has been major changes in the in the women's game. What's the biggest change that you've seen since you've, you know, since coming to England and, and the league and everything? What's changed the most? I think it's the exposure uh, the game's getting now. Um, I mean, obviously your media, your, your social platform sites, you know, they, they have a lot to do with it. But, like, even our league games, there's there's games on TV every week now. Um, and, and it's little things like that that were, never would have happened, you know, back then. So I just think the exposure that the game's getting as a whole now is fantastic. And, you know, attendances are getting bigger. There's more interest around the game now. Um, you know, players are starting to become household names. It's it's things like that. So the game is starting to evolve that way, which is you know it's fantastic. And obviously, it, it helps that you know it's full time now, and that just helps you know grow the game in, in itself. And players are fully committed to it. And then you know you've got more fans, more attendances, things like that. So that's probably what I would say the biggest change is since I first came over to now. We spoke just be- just before we started recording. We spoke about you know fighting for things and trying to get more and trying to get what basically get the level of support that the men's teams have. What do Everton as a club? How do they do they merge both teams? Is there a connection with both, or, or how does that work? 
Yeah, well, I mean, Everton are fantastic. We get to train at the same complex that, that the men train at. Um, so we're based at Finch Farm, um, which is, uh, you know, the facilities there are, are world-class, you know what I mean? So um, Everton really buy in, you know, they buy into the women's side. And, um, you know, the fact that we get to, to base ourselves there is fantastic. And, you know, we get to, we get to see... You know, we get to see the men's players, um, you know, on a daily basis, you know, walking past them here and there. And, you know, I, I think, you know, that that's really good and that they buy into us and, you know, that they let us be there every day, work there every day, just like the men do. So I, I think that that was definitely a big step, especially when we were making the transition from being part time to full time. I think that that just showed you know, the commitment that the club had to, to us, the belief that they had in us to, to let us do that, for them to invest in us and let us, um, you know, commit commit to it full time. So I think that they've been great in making that transition uh, with us from part time to full time, definitely. All right, let's talk about international football then. What's the differences between an international game and an Everton game? Well, international is obviously the... It's the highest standard that you're you're ever gonna play at, really, isn't it? It's it's the world stage, um, and you're getting to play against the best players in the world, essentially. Um, but playing for Northern Ireland is it is one of the greatest honors I've ever had, and I'm very proud. I'm a very proud player, uh, and to play for Northern Ireland, so it's what I wanted to do ever since I was a little kid playing. So, the fact that you know I get to represent my country is it's all I ever wanted to do. So, I mean, I absolutely love putting on the shirt. Every single time that we play, did you go to games then when you were young? I did. Yeah, I went to I went to nearly all the games when I was young. I was a fan uh, back in the day when we beat England one 0 Dave Healy. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, all them games. Oh, loved it. Back before um, everybody was a Northern Ireland fan, you know, there's so few of us. I was one of them. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's again at, at a time that it was sort of changing, wasn't it? Like that Healy era. Because before that, there was pretty bleak, and then before that, there would have been when I was a Northern Ireland season ticket holder when I was probably ten to fifteen, um, and it was bleak, 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 bleak. So oh, wow. it's just a better place now to go and play or go and watch a match, isn't it? Windsor Parks, there's a great atmosphere there. Oh, especially since they've done the stadium and that up now, it's oh, it's fantastic. Now I went to. So obviously, since I moved over here, I haven't been able to get to as many. But I went to one there in the last campaign, and it was one of the first times it was, you know, it was in Windsor, and it was just the atmosphere. It was electric, like I can believe it. You know, whereas back in the day, you know, be lucky if we filled the whole the whole ground. You know, before everyone was a Northern Ireland fan. <laughs> right, that's right. What is what is the team's success, the Northern Ireland success over the past few years with Michael O'Neill? How does that affect the mentality of the women's team? Do you do you see that changing with just the expectations and the standards? Yeah, I mean, I, I to be honest, I always thought I was like I always thought that the women's team would qualify for a major tournament before the men's did, but they proved me wrong. They proved me wrong. <laughs> but um, no, I think that you know, obviously, the success of the men's team over the last few years has been fantastic, and I think it's just instilled a lot of belief throughout the whole country. Um, and I think especially from the, the women's point of view, I think that it's made us more driven, if anything, to try and qualify because we don't want it to be all about the men. You know, we want to kind of prove ourselves now. So I think, if anything, it's kind of instilled that little bit more drive within us to actually go out there and let's try and let's try and push on. Let's try and do it. 
so that we're not always living in the shadow of, of the men. We want to kind of, you know, prove ourselves to, to the country and to the association that, you know, we're good enough to be to be taken just as seriously as the men's. When I arrived in Cincinnati five years ago, I called you and tried to get you over. I don't know if you remember this. I'm not going to ask you about regrets, about is there anything in the college or U.S. college game or the lifestyle over here that you wish you had experienced? Um, I definitely think, like, I think about it all the time because obviously whenever I was going through that age, a lot of the players that I would have played with as a youth player, they went on and done it. And, you know, whenever I meet up with them now and they tell me about all the stories and the experiences that they had at college, you know, a little bit of me is like, you know, I, I kind of wish that I did go and experience that. But then at the, at the same time, I think I what I always wanted to do was be a footballer. And, you know, I worked so hard every day to, to make sure that, you know, I would I would get here. And I think that I don't regret any of the choices that I ever made um, because all the choices I made was to try and help me achieve that dream of becoming a professional player. Had that not have happened, then maybe I would have regretted some of the choices that I made. But obviously, because of where I'm sitting now, uh, I, I, I wouldn't turn around and say that I regret anything, no. Let's talk about leadership. So, again, that kind of asked you a question before about being a role model for the younger players in Northern Ireland um, do you see a responsibility in terms of how you communicate and how you handle yourself um, towards that next generation yeah I think um, I think I do in some senses I mean obviously um, with being you know fortunately you know obviously I, I got to I get to say that I was the first you know the first player to become a full-time professional that was from Northern Ireland which is you know, it's it's fantastic, and I mean, hopefully, that starts you know paving the way for for future generations coming through. You know, to show young kids that you know it's possible that that a young girl from you know from the countryside in in Northern Ireland can actually go out there and can make it as a full time professional. So, I think that you know it's important that you know I can try and get that message across to as many young kids that are playing on Saturday morning you know, over back home that, you know, it's possible if you work hard, if you stick at it, if you make the right choices, that you can you can do what I'm doing too, do you know what I mean? So hopefully, like I said, that by by me becoming the first full-time player, that that's starting to pave, pave a way for, for future players coming through. Uh, let's go back then. Choices. You're in, I always found growing up that around about 15, 16, there's almost a social choice to be made yeah. where you've got to kind of step up your commitment level and you know, no one likes to step away. You don't really, there's no defriending anyone back home really. It's just, you're, you've got to, if you're going out, you're deciding not to do this or not to do that there. How aware were you of, of what choices you were making around that age group or did someone help you with that? I think, yeah, I think I definitely came across that a lot, especially you know, like you said, around 15, um, whenever you've got, I always found I had two groups of friends. I had my, my school friends and I had my football friends. And uh, obviously your school friends come the weekend, they want to be going out, they want to be doing this, they want to be doing whatever. And I was always like, sorry, I can't, I've got training. And obviously, obviously for, 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 for friends at that age who don't play, they don't get it. And I think that, 
that's the age where you see a lot of a lot of girls. I know I I seen a lot of girls who I played with drop out around that age, and you know they just give the game up because they wanted to go hang out with their friends. And I mean, I thought I was quite fortunate that I got I had a good group of friends that you know they understood that football was my my number one commitment, and I was always going to choose that before anything else. And um, so I I was just quite fortunate in 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 that side of things and. You know, I, I just feel that I had good people around me. I had a good supportive family. I had great coaches who, who helped me. Um, and the fact that the coaches made the, the sessions enjoyable. So it was a place where I loved to be. You know, so as far as I was concerned, that there was nowhere else that I would rather be than at training. Do you know what I mean? So that was better than being anywhere else. Um, so because I enjoyed it, I had, I had good friends. I had good family. I had, I had a good support network around me that you know helped when making them choices helped just make it easier for me so it was it was never really a question for me you know I knew from a very young age what I wanted to do so um it was, it was a no-brainer for me that I was going to pick training before anything else yeah even listening to you this morning you can hear how much of a how much of a drive and enthusiasm and how much you enjoy the game and that that probably similar to myself like that that sort of makes your decisions for you when yeah. you have, when you have someone then who is say 13 14 super talented player you've i'm sure this has happened to you if it's not it's going to happen to you where a coach will pick up the phone or get someone to get in contact with you and be like hey can you talk to this player she's super talented um but she wants to go out on a on a friday saturday night and and what how do you because i feel like we talk about talent in Northern Ireland and talk about why we can't produce, you know, players to where, you know, maybe we were before. And I think the social side of it holds a lot of players back. What advice do you, you know, what advice do you have for those players at 13, 14, 15? I think that what, what you need to find out first is what is it that they want to be? Do they really want to be a footballer? And if they say yes... Well then, obviously that that's everything, isn't it? If they really want to be a footballer, then they have to make the right choices, even from thirteen years of age. I mean, that's what I had to do, and I think like some people say that you have to sacrifice, but I don't. Th- I don't really think that you're sacrificing anything. I just feel that it's you're just making the right choices. You're making the best choices possible that are going to help you get to where it is that you want to be. And if you have to start that at thirteen. Well, then you've got to look at the bigger picture. I mean, you you can focus on the here and now, but realistically, you have to see the bigger picture and you have to see where it is that you want to be. And if you're really committed and you've got that drive and you know that that's definitely what you want to do, well, then you have to make them choices. Even even from the here and now, you have to make the, the right choices that are going to help you or else that, that bigger picture that you want to see might not might not be the reality come 18, 19 years of age. So the first biggest choice, what we're saying, is basically to go out, um, go out and, and enjoy the nightlife or not enjoy the nightlife, which is part of Northern Ireland, part of growing up in Northern Ireland, big social place. I think the other place then is like diet and self management is somewhere where, as a country, we're probably not advanced enough as other places. So you moving over to, um, you moving over to full time football, you trying to establish yourself in the Everton team living away from home and being happy socially how much of did you have to adapt and and almost discipline yourself to eat the right foods and did you change in that area or was that something that you were always good at 
Um, I think I, to be fair, I never thought I was really bad growing up. I mean, because I was always so active, I th- I always felt I was eating the right foods. Obviously, being being a teenager, you, you do have the tendencies to you know sway off off the bandwagon a little bit and eat your junk food here and there. But when I first moved over, I found it a bit a bit challenging, just in the aspect that I obviously I'd never cooked. I had no idea how to cook. Um, obviously, I'd lived at home, so I got everything cooked for me. So I think at the start, you know, that was a little bit difficult. But I was living in a player house with a few players, so that helped me. You know, it helped me get through. And I think with the fact that I was living with a few other players helped me as well because we were all aware then that we all, because we were surrounded, we all need to be eating the right types of food. So I think that got me kind of on the on the straight and narrow quite quite promptly and. Yeah, I think, you know, I've always been been eating, you know, the right foods. I always, you know, you know what, you know yourself what you need to be eating. If if you want to be able to perform come game day, you need to be getting the, the right nutrients in. And um, so, no, I definitely think once I learned, learned how to master cooking, I think I was I was fine. Right, so you've mastered, you're decent in the kitchen today. Oh, well, I mean, I would, I would say that. I don't know how many people would agree, <laughs> agree with my life. But <laughs> Brilliant. Um, all right, academics, because obviously you've got a profile as a player and, and what you do on that platform, but you've, you've got a degree in coach education. Uh, you've just got your master's in research in coach education. I have, yes. Congratulations on that. So <laughs> is, it, is it right to assume that that's going to be the natural progression when you finish playing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's something I've thought about a lot and I kind of, at the start, whenever I first moved over, I kind of just said, right, I'll go to university in the background, you know, just to get myself an education. And obviously, I kind of had no idea really what kind of area I wanted to go into. I was like, I mean, I had done I'd done a little bit of coaching, you know, as, as a teenager. So I kind of just fell into it, to be honest. And I didn't really know what to expect. But come more I would say more so in my second year of the degree I started to find a pathway that I just really enjoyed and I kind of found this this love for 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 coaching and um that I just didn't really know that I had in me and come my final year of of studying I you know when I was picking up my, my dissertation which was my my research study um I chose to look into video analysis um, from a female footballer's perspective. So I kind of looked at how my experiences of receiving video-based feedback, you know, how, how I was perceiving them, the way my coaches were delivering it. And I found it really, really interesting. And I started to learn a lot about why I'm, what I do, why I do it as a player. And I, d- I just found it like so, so interesting. So when I finished in my final year, I didn't feel like I'd done enough. I felt like there's still some more. There's still some more that I want to do. So that's whenever I considered doing um, research then, a master's in research where I would progress what I'd done in my final year. It was the next step then. So um, I, I looked into how other players um, were receiving video-based feedback and how you know how they felt their coaches were delivering it, how it was affecting them mentally, uh, from more psychological point of view and I kind of was focusing on the emotions that were going on there and why players choose to show certain emotions and why they choose to, to hide them and I just thought the whole process was so interesting especially with being involved in the field myself um, and I began to learn about 
why as players we we act in certain ways and why we conduct ourselves in certain ways and I just felt like it was so interesting so um, I've still got a bit of a bug tip to progress that side of, of things academically but I think I'm going to wait until obviously I'm finished playing football before I do that because I could not commit that Masters was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life so I don't think I could commit to, to juggling it and, and football at the same yeah. time. Uh, you've a long way, long way before you're on the sidelines. But um, Alex Ferguson may, always made his players go through coaching courses when they were still playing with him because he felt it made them better players. Yeah. Uh, sounds like it's it's helped you on the pitch as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, my coaching, uh, the level at which I've coached, um, I... I've taken kids, so you're young kids, you know, which is, that's a great laugh. I love that. But I also, um, in my final year, got the opportunity to take our university team. Uh, that was my placement, which I found quite challenging, but I, I did enjoy it because it was a little bit more serious than obviously taking kids. And I think that was my first little taste, you know, of actually taking a, a team for the first time, um, which, I, which I quite enjoyed. And I definitely think that, you know, there is room for that in the future as well to maybe, you know, go into to coaching as well. Um, obviously got to work work up and get a few more badges and, and things like that. But I definitely enjoyed it, and I think it makes you think about a lot of things. Um, that you know, as a player, that you don't think about. Um, what side of it interests you the most? Like, is it the is it you said you did a bit of tactical work for individuals? Is it the player development side? Is it the analysis side? Is it the relationship side? Is it I think covering? I think that like obviously through the studying side of it, what I became aware of is that without even knowing it, um, when when the coach is delivering or when the coach is doing X, Y, and Z, that as as players, we're we're constantly either hiding and showing different emotions that that we're not aware of. So you know, all because I I feel like we have identities as as athletes we're supposed to act and we're supposed to conduct ourselves in certain in certain mannerisms in certain ways and I feel that as players that we're constantly aware that we have to conduct ourselves in certain in certain ways and I think that's what interests me the most that when I was studying that I didn't actually realize that I do it but I do and I'm not the only one um, you know, every player goes through that that they feel they have to show certain emotions like for example if the team loses the game but the player has had a good individual performance. They're kind of faced with that, well, I should be sad because the team have lost, but I'm happy because I played well. So it's kind of like, well, my coach should expect me to be sad here, but really, I'm really happy, but I have to show that I'm sad because the team's more important than me as the player. And that's just one example of, of the things that I'm starting to find. And I just found it really, really interesting and it's things and it's aspects that people wouldn't really think about, um, but it, it just opens the mind a little bit more to, to find out what's really going on in these in these settings. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what is the reaction? Is that a positive reaction to, because everyone's, like, I've, I've done, that was what I mean as a player. I was, if I had done well and played good, uh, but we lost the game, I was happy enough. No, I know. And, and that's it, isn't it? And I mean, I think, like after you play a game, it's one of them things. You're like, oh, I thought I played really well, but but we lost the game. So when you go back into training the next day and you're analysing the game or whatever it is you're doing, it's like, 
how am I supposed to act? Like, am I am I comfortable in myself because I have nothing to worry about because I had a good game? But then the overall, the rest of the team are really angry. They're really upset because we lost. Well, then I need to act like that as well because, you know, I can't be seen to be bigger than the team, you know. So all this is going on, but are we actively aware that it's going on? And that that's why I studied what I studied because I just thought it was so interesting that all this happens, but we don't even realise that we're doing it. But we have to assume... The game or society makes us assume a certain role and we fall. So do you think that holds players back or do you think that just adds to the noise? I think it, I think you're right in saying that like, with the, with the title of being a, a professional player, you have to act in certain in certain ways. And I think even breaking that up f- further, if you go into the, like, the hierarchy of a squad, you've got your, got your captain, your senior players. Do they, they, they feel like they have to act? in certain ways because they're responsible so they have to be seen to be these characters that you know that that the coach has has given them they have to fulfill that role so does that make them act then in a certain in a different way in certain situations well well yes it probably does Um, and then you've got your younger players in the team who don't really have a great deal of responsibility so I, I feel like that it's just so interesting when you're looking at when you're breaking it down like that and it's how players conduct themselves and, and why are they doing it and you know is it to meet the expectation of the role that they've got probably um you know and it's i just find the whole thing just really interesting mm, that's that's it's a whole new different podcast almost than you're going <laughs> into, into, I, I could sit here for hours yeah and talk no, no it, yeah. i really like this um do you would you rather people you know you've said that you love studying it um and you love and you find it really really interesting but do you find that is your is your personal philosophy that you would like to see people be a little more genuine or different or do you think that that's a positive thing that they fall into the they take the rooms that they take the roles that they're they're supposed to yeah i think i think it's what it's one of them things though isn't it because I don't think that it would ever come to a point where everyone's going to be 100% genuine. Um, and I think the reason why players and, and probably and coaches as well, they act in these ways is because they've probably experienced a situation that's perhaps similar where a player has acted genuine or a coach has acted genuine and there's been consequences. So that's why players are acting to the, to the behaviour um, that's expected off of the role because if they don't based on previous experiences where somebody hasn't there's been consequences where they've maybe got dropped from the team or they've been given a bad reputation or, or whatever it is mm-hmm. and I feel that players then they're aware of what's happened and they don't oh I don't want to do that because the last time such and such did that this had this happened so I feel like that's almost why players behave in the way they do because it's based off of their previous experiences where somebody hasn't hasn't you know quite lived up to that expectation so I feel like that that kind of goes into a little bit of what I found when I studied um what I was doing that that's kind of what players were basing their behaviors around um which is quite, quite interesting yeah. Us. I love us here because being different is is almost going back to that uh, growing up, 13, 14, 15. Are you going to go with your school friends? Are you going to go, well, I don't want to be different, so I'll go out on Friday night with everyone? Um, yeah. Do you, do you think that if you can if you can dig, surely if you can dig into people to be to be more authentic, um, how, do you, uh, how do you, 
remove the caution of, yeah, I don't want to be different. I don't want to be the problem player. I don't want to be, you know, how do you do that? Do, do you communicate that to players, young players, young people? Um, I think it's one of them things because obviously, you know, in, in, a, in a team environment, you're not going to turn around and say to a younger player, you know, don't be yourself. Um, but then obviously, I think, obviously with being a younger player, I, I was in a senior setup since I was 15 and, a lot of my behaviours now as more of a senior player are probably based on experiences that I witnessed when I was 15 um, and the things that I've seen and seeing older players act and conduct themselves in certain ways and seeing the consequences of their actions has obviously influenced my behaviour now as a senior player and I kind of know what, what behaviours are expected of me. So in light of them expectations, I believe that I am. I am probably looked towards in oh I, I need to kind of conduct myself in this in this manner you know because I'm looked towards as a senior player with with experience so I do feel that that you do have expectations um put put on you based on where your your rank is such in, in, in a team and I feel that every player is is the same and I feel like that's probably the case in in, in every team, um, and it's just it's just interesting that we kind of fall into this um, without realizing it. Like I, I noticed, I, I noticed it obviously a lot after I I did my research in the area, and I was like, I, I do this without even realizing that I'm doing it, but I'm doing it because I'm trying to meet the expectations that are are put on me because of my rank within the team. Um, so I just feel that that we you know we fall we fall into that, and it's 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 just interesting that it's what well, why do we do this like is it because we're we're afraid of you know getting dropped if we don't meet them expectations or is it because of you know we don't want our our teammates to to look at us differently will it affect my reputation within the team you know so all that's going on so it's just it's very interesting. Um, you know, like I said, that you know that was a massive thing that I've I learned out learned about myself that you know we do fall into this without without even you know realizing. So there's a great story from I heard this about a year ago about Arsene Wenger when he was manager at Monaco. He had a Emmanuel Petit. Do you remember Emmanuel Petit? Maybe before your yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> French guy, long hair, centre midfielder. Um, he had him at 18, and they played. Mon I think Monaco played on the Saturday and. He came in on the on the Monday morning and asked Manuel Petit, you know, what what did you do yesterday? And he said he came into the Monaco training facility and he did his, you know, he did all his rehab and he got his ice and got his bath and all that there. And then he went home and rested. Um, and Wenger actually advised him to go out. You should be going out with your friends and living life as an 18, 19 year old because it's going to catch up with you later. You, you know, having the awareness and having the ability to know what you can only do that if you have experience of living life, rather than hiding from life. It'll. So he felt that, which would be completely different from most coaches would have said. I would have said, man, you're a petite, brilliant model pro, but Arsene Wenger was thinking, no, in in, te in five to ten years' time, you're going to probably chase after life because you're not experienced it enough when you're younger. Yeah. Um, what, what would, so let's fast forward, Simone McGill's a coach in 15, 20 years. What, what, what are you going to tell a young player to be like, are you going to, you know, how are you going to work your environment around 
being comfortable and being authentic, but at the same time having the balance between well, you know, it's like a family. Everyone has to live in this place in this space. How are we gonna How are we gonna be successful? I think one thing that like I've definitely learned since going full time with football is that you can very easily become consumed within football, and I think that it is very important to have a life outside of football as well. I think that that's very important just for your mental stability um because it can which i i have learned and a lot of of my my you know my my friends in football have learned is that you can very easily become consumed in it and to and if things aren't maybe going well if you're having like a rough a rough patch in terms of you know you've had a few bad games on the run or your team haven't been winning you know it it can be quite hard to kind of get out of that and I, i just think that it's good to switch off sometimes and I do think that it's definitely important that you do have things that you enjoy doing outside of football. So I would definitely encourage a young player, especially, you know, to find something that they enjoy as well. If that's spending time, you know, with your friends, going to the cinema, doing a little thing. I think it is very important to just have that balance just from a mental point of view. And I think that, you know, obviously I've learned a lot more about why that's important in this last year probably than I have in the rest of my career just because I know that you can become very consumed up in it especially if it's not going the way you want it to and I feel that mentally it's just very important to be able to switch off sometimes. You've worked with my cousin Niall talking about coaches. (laughs) I have yes. I've uh, I've never seen him coach what was he like? (laughs) Well I'm gonna have to say good things now. No you don't you don't. (laughs) No, Niall was great. Um, I worked with him uh, at under seventeen level, um, and yeah, no, he, he was he was good. I had a good laugh with Niall, and um, I think he took me. Must have been for two campaigns, um, but no, uh, it was good. He made me his captain, so I've got to. I've got only good things to say about Niall. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Um, you worked as a as a student guide and a mentor while you were at college. You're an ambassador for the Northern Ireland Children's Hospital, uh, Hospice, and you also do some work for anti-bullying too. Um, how much of this is, you know, this is obviously a very, very important part of your life is given back. Um, how do you go around selecting what you're doing? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know, it all, it all sounds great, great, you know, on paper that, you know, I do, I do a lot to try and give back, but, but I definitely do. I mean, I, you know, I was very fortunate in my career that I had a lot of great people around me that helped me get to where I was. Um, so it's only, it's only fair that I try and give back, um, especially, you know, keeping it local within Northern Ireland. Like I'm so proud of where I've come from and the people who've helped me, you know, get to where I am. So I always try and give back as as much as I can and in any way that I can. If I can do one little thing that's going to help somebody, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it and I'll try as best as I can. And obviously to be a part of, of great, you know, organisations like the hospice and like the anti-bullying and things like that, you know, to be a part of organisations like that is just fantastic because, like I said, you know, being able to help, help a young child or make their day or you know do little things in any way that I can to just give give back a little bit you know it's it's fantastic feeling and if I can do anything like that that's going to make a child's day and just make it that little bit better you know I'm, I'm obviously going to do it so um I've just been fortunate enough to 
to have so many great people help me get to where I am. So it's only right that I give back. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right, last three questions. Tough, <laughs> toughest ones to last. Best player you played with? The best player I've played with. Ooh. Um, best player I've played with. Oh, right, okay. I think the best player I've played with uh, would probably be... I, I'm going to go with Jill Scott, I think. Just from the fact when I was when I was 18... Just with having her in behind me, it was just she was just incredible. Um, she made me look good. Right. <laughs> so she was a ten. Yeah, she played just in behind me. Yeah, right. she plays on the right a little bit for England now, doesn't she? Is yeah, yeah. Eight. yeah, she's yeah. brilliant. Uh, best player played against. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Kim Little. Mm. I played against her when she played for Arsenal. Again, I was only young. And I think at one point in the game, I must have clapped. I just went, that was just unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> quality, quality. She was, where did she play? Attacking mid as well? Yeah. Yeah. So what about the, the toughest opponent? Toughest you, opponent? Do you play uh, against uh, Steph at Man City? I, I have, I. Right. How did you uh, get on against her? I scored a header against City, oh, so... I was buzzing about that one. <laughs> <laughs> which which de- which defender have you? Or which defenders do you struggle against the most? Physical um, ones, quick ones. Um, probably I'm gonna go with physical. Um, just because if a ball gets knocked up in the air, like you know, and if you're against the centre back, you know, who's just physically amazing in the air and things like that, then you know, I I always find them a lot tougher and a one one big aspect of my game is trying to hold the ball up um so if you've got a, a defender who's really physical obviously they make that a nightmare for you and with being one of the probably one of my biggest aspects of my game you know so if I've got a physical defender you know right up my backside like just making it a nightmare for me then obviously I'm not going to like that am I mm. so it's good that uh, you know Julian Nelson only does that in training then <laughs> yeah uh, last one for you. Best ground you played at? Oh, um, oh, let me see. Um, to be fair, I've played at the the Etihad is amazing. To be oh, fair, wow. yeah, I've played there. That that's probably got to be up there. I'm holding out for Wembley, um, <laughs> and and hopefully we get a run out on Windsor. Um, You've never in, played in at Windsor Park. Not not the new one, not the new one. Mm. I've played in the old the old Windsor, but not the not the new one. Um, so I'm holding out for that. Brilliant, brilliant, Simone. Thank you so much for your time and your insight here. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Um, wish you the best of luck in your recovery, uh, with the injury, and then look forward to seeing you at a major tournament. I'll be hitting you up with uh, particular quests when North <laughs> make it. But uh, let's do this again sometime. Yes, no problem at all, Gary. Thanks very much. Thanks, Simone. Talk to you soon. All all right. Bye now. Thanks so much to Simone for her time and insight there. Hard to believe that she is 23 years of age um, with that level of awareness and that level of depth of how she perceives the game and views the game and views coaching and and playing and and all that good stuff. So... um, you know, I, I took quite a, quite a lot from that there. I think we always say to players to 
you know, enjoy and be appreciative of what you have and enjoy every moment. But you can tell by listening to how she talks, the words that she uses, you know, how much she enjoys playing for her country, how thankful she is to Northern Ireland, how thankful she is to Everton FC for giving her the opportunities. And as coaches, we always want our players, we don't expect to be thanked every day by them to say, oh, thank you for doing this or thank you for doing that. But we always want them to be appreciative because I think if they do, they bring a level of enthusiasm and energy to a group. And you can just tell by what that does um, at the highest level. And then add into that there, it's, it's the drive, but it's also the humility to give back and to do other things. And, and Simone is such, that's why I wanted to get her on. I knew she would be really good because how she uses her platform to talk about the children's hospice, to talk about anti-bullying, to talk about the great stuff that's happening in the game. And I think that's such a such an important role for so much negativity online with playing and coaching that to have someone who's really enjoying it and who's making an impact and who's sending that message to young girls across the world, not just Northern Ireland, I think is so powerful. And then the last thing is just the awareness piece of coaching. And I think that's where you want to get to. If, if you want players to, to become more aware and to increase their 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 insight to the game you know we talk about game intelligence a lot of it goes on inside the game a lot of it goes on outside the game as well and we can do a lot more outside if we can make players more aware of how they're getting feedback and how they're perceiving situations and their leadership roles and and all that there there's so much in that which i feel that we don't we don't scrape the surface of so if you can imagine what Simone her insight if you and plus her personality can you imagine what that would be like in a locker room in a in a meeting in a one-to-one meeting um and I think every coach who listens to this or every coach in the world would want that type of personality in their team so it's definitely something there is a personality an innate part which is that enthusiasm and that humility but there's also a part that can be developed and it's that awareness side so uh, thanks so much to Simone for that again uh, and thanks so much for listening if you wouldn't mind please 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 uh, keep spreading the word of the podcast coming and I'll talk to you soon thank you thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com